there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. All right, let's ease into some advanced medicine with Dr. Rasha Bittar. Dr. Bittar, I've been on the road for so long, I hardly know I'm at home studioing. So I'm going to turn the show over to you. I'll be back in about an hour. How's that? <laughs> no, no. Well, Super Don will be with you. Don and I going to talk. Uh, Super Don and I going to talk about other things then, huh? <laughs> yeah, I know. You guys make it up as you go. Hey, you know what? This is a good topic to start with because I always love chatting with you on this. There's a headline here from the Natural Blaze. Is there a relation between good faith and good health? Good faith and good health. I mean, there's plenty of bad news about uh, all, all kinds of things in the world, and I think this is a kind of a good news story. I don't know if it's intuitive and everybody goes, oh, of course there is, or if a lot of people go, oh, I didn't know that. But I thought it's a good good way to start because you wrote about it in The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, the whole idea of uh, a spiritual toxicity. If something is absent or present, too much, too little? Yeah, you know, this is one of those topics that when we start talking about it, we go, we end up spending a whole hour on it, and then we haven't covered any of the other stories, and then <laughs> the next time we do the show, then we also continue with that thought process. So it is, it is a area that, like you sometimes say, you say we go places where other people don't go, but this really mm-hmm. is one of those topics that I think medicine should, as a, as a general, medicine should look at more, because the state of your mental health, and the first thing I want to do is define good faith. That doesn't mean whether you're a Muslim or a Christian or a Jew. That's not what they're mm-hmm. talking about, by the way, so just make sure everybody <laughs> understands that. Yes. You know, it means good faith, meaning having, having a good basis of faith. And what we're talking about, the spiritual toxicity, my definition of spiritual toxicity, you and I, Robert, many times have talked about this before and how you came up you you grew up in a different tradition of religion as did i and our and yet we're almost synonymous in our thought process it's really that when when spiritual toxic when you have spirituality that becomes toxic there is a difference between religion and spirit mm-hmm. as being spiritual super, super don person, wait a second hold on super don do you agree with with dr batard did you hear what he said yeah well, I just want to know because this is a this is a topic Super Don likes to chime in on, and I I think I almost heard Super Don talking right through you in that one. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Because yeah, religiosity it, and spirituality are are not synonymous, as many people they're, think it is. They're they're polar opposites for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Isn't that interesting? Without a doubt. Because here's the thing: a person can be very spiritual, toxic, but outwardly to everybody else, they're very. Uh, spiritual because they're very religious, but that's not true because if a person feels... Well, let, let me back up for a second. Do you know that there are more people that have been killed in the name of God than any other cause of death? I mean, this is appalling to me that so many... You know, because my God's a God of love, and your God's a God of love, and, and mm-hmm. uh, Superdon's God's a God of love, so then if God is a God of love and of mercy and of compassion, then why have more people been killed in the name of God? It makes no sense, and the reason is because we've got the factor of man, and all the monotheistic religions and most of the other religions teach that man is created imperfect. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm getting more into, you know, the religious aspect of it, but 
The point being that spirituality, a spirituality that is toxic, is when one individual feels compelled to convince another person of their thought process and is willing to become aggressive or, or do it in a coercive way, uh, do it at you know the cost of whatever it is, as opposed to um, what I believe spirituality, what I think Super Don would agree with me, is mm-hmm. it, true spirituality is when um, the quote that I used in my book where Confucius said, we should take, or maybe it was Buddha that said, we should take every opportunity we can to preach and never open our mouth. Mm. I still, I love that one too. It's so powerful and profound. If you let that like trickle over you, right? You you pray on it, contemplate on it, whatever you do, meditate on it. Because what does that mean? It means you live your faith as opposed to beat people over the head with it. Exactly. And it's not just your faith, Robert. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. you you do the same thing. Okay. You preach every opportunity you can, you, you can, and of course, you do open your mouth because you. <laughs> I babble a lot. Yeah. But but outside the radio mm-hmm. show, I, I see how you live your life. Okay. Mm. Um, so we are we are trying to be the embodiment of what we preach, which is good health, exercise, eating clean, staying away from you know, that, that type of thing. It's the same thing. You preach um, every opportunity you get, whatever it is, whether it's re- uh, your religion, spirituality, or whether it's you know politics, whether it's health, whether whatever it is. It's education, but you, and you never open your mouth. So you, you let patients see how you are, and they want to emulate you because they see you as the example that they want to follow. And that is, I think, we should all, as mankind, remember that mm. if we want our children to grow up the right way, we need to preach and never open our mouths. We need to be the example. We want to be, like Gandhi said, be the change. We want to be that change so the children want to follow us, so that others want to follow what we do because of the way we live our lives, because of the way we hold our our heads, because of the way the dynamics of society, the way we deal with it. I I like to be inspired. You know, it's not every every day you walk through life and you see somebody that inspires you. It's a a momentous occasion. You go, wow, that I'd aspire to be that or do that. Something about that day like rekindles something in you, the spirit that flows through you, right? And it was interesting, last week we were at the Trinity School of Natural Health. You were, you were on with us, and, and we were interacting with some of the naturopathic students. And these, these are the traditional naturopaths. We talked about the difference between that and allopathic naturopathics. And yet, I saw in the students, I mean, they're all wonderful, nice people, but very few of them cared enough to go to places that would fulfill their physical needs in terms of food in a qualitative way. They were going out to the same old restaurants that I used to go to before I woke up, you know, 27 plus years ago. And maybe it's part of their learning process as well. But I said, what kind of patient or client do you think they'll attract? If they're going out to eat garbage food during the day, and yet they're going to try and teach traditional naturopathic principles, uh, you know, the rest of the time, what kind of client do you think is going to be drawn to them? Because if I witness a doctor eating garbage, it's not likely I'm going to consult with them on good health. Yeah, it's like looking at the cardiologist uh, who's giving you a lecture about stopping smoking, and he's got cigarette ashes on his lab coat, you know, or mm-hmm. having uh, an overweight doctor trying to tell you the importance of uh, being being slim and exercising and being um, in the ideal body mass index. And so in, in, in other words, it's hypocrisy, and you yeah. can't you can, a minister that or, or a preacher or a rabbi or a malvi or a imam or whatever that sits there and 
preaches one thing, but then is in the back room, you know, smoking crack or, you know, doing <laughs> whatever. Extreme example, but yeah. <laughs> well, okay, look, let's, let's use an example. Catholicism, okay, uh-huh. and again, I'm not trying to beat up in Catholicism, but, you know, when they talk about some of the things in Catholicism, and yet you look at the rate of priests um, being pedophiles, it, it's, it makes you wonder. I mean, it's, it, it's not the... the Percentage, I have no idea. Super Don, maybe you can quickly do a search and see what the rate of <laughs> pedophiles among the Catholic... Uh, we don't know, but it's a problem. Really high. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a problem. So you start looking at these types of things, and then you start thinking, well, is it is it a problem with maybe the church and the, the, in, the, the impossible constraints that these men are maybe put into? And not, not that it's a justification at all. My point is, there's again things that we start to look at and we start to see, how is this... Uh, embodiment of what we want others to do, and why would why would anybody want to convert to Catholicism when they see this type of incidents? Again, I'm not trying to beat up on Catholics, so please, I'm, I'm sure Robert, you're going to get a hundred. No, yeah, we're going to get like the Catholic emails. hate mail, but no, no, we're talking yeah, about exactly. examples of you know we talk about living living our faith in a sense. At a certain point, you know, people say, well, why do you live the way you do, Robert? Well, I lived differently prior to the wake up call that I got in my health as a young man. And I saw other examples, a living example in particular, who became a teacher of mine in homeopathy that was doing it differently. And I had tried all the allopathic stuff I knew and that I lived with and grew up with. And I thought, well, it didn't work. Let's try it. Now, maybe I made a leap of faith, right? That concept at the beginning, because I had never really heard of organic food and what that meant. And then I never heard of homeopathy and I tried it. So my leap of faith was to go, okay, I'll try it. All right. It, it didn't resonate badly. It was new and exciting and interesting, but I didn't know. And as I, you know, move through the experience by taking that leap of faith, finding out that, hey, there was, it reminds me of the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, the one with Sean Connery in there. Remember, he had to take a leap of faith where it looked like there was nothing there. And then when he took his step, there was actually a stone bridge across the chasm. And so as I stepped into the natural medicine realm, I found there was a stone to step on. And in fact, I, every time I, I, I had that faith to take another step until the point is I no longer needed faith. I had a knowingness about the path I was on. Does that make sense? That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And this is where a conversation that I had with a friend of mine, Greg Provenzano, um, a great guy, and he, he came up one day and we were having a conversation. He said, he told me that I didn't have faith. And I thought that was interesting. And, and he said it again, and, and I'm listening to him. And I'm thinking about it. And he said, what, you're not going to argue with me? And I said, well, no, you're a friend of mine. And if anybody else, maybe I would have been a little bit aggressive. But I, I, I know he's a friend of mine. I know he cares about me. So I know that there was a reason he was saying it. So I'm thinking, and I said, well, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I'm trying to understand. And he said something very profound. He said, he said, you don't have any faith because you know. And people mm-hmm. that know, they're beyond that faith. And, you know, I started thinking about it, that this is what my staff calls walking into the fire. And they know that I will walk into the fire because we, we, we talk about that's a culture that we've created in our clinic, that you walk into the fire. You know, if, if a person starts having a Herxheimer's response, the tendency is to stop the treatment. But wait a second, we've got to walk through that fire to help that person come through. And, and if you know what you're doing, it, that, that certainty is there, and that's exactly what you're talking about. And that is, a, that is a wonderful place to be at. And I think every human being has that capacity. They just have to first have the faith and believe, and then they, that knowing will come as a next step. It's an evolutionary yes. process that happens. Yeah, perhaps that's you know where the, the article is leading here, health and faith. They talked about meditation, socialization. I mean, maybe they're talking a little bit about the religious um, uh, camaraderie, you know, when you find people that believe like you and you can hang out, and there's some semblance of a commonality. Perhaps that's, that's helpful in terms of socialization, not feeling isolated and alone. But ultimately, 
you know, the movement beyond faith, I guess, is what we're talking about here. And I know for some that might be a controversial topic, but I, I wanted to bring up that example in my own life that, yeah, I had to take a leap of faith. But at this point now, when people hear me speak on subjects, when they hear you, Dr. Batar, speak on subjects, they're like, boy, th- they're not speaking from faith. You could tell that guy has walked that path and knows what he's saying. And it's a different vibration that comes from that. We'll, we'll continue this discussion. I love talking with Dr. Batar about this. We may go into Advanced Medicine 101 when I ask him about inflammation. Is there a difference between good and bad and what that is? It's one of the stories I'd like to cover. It's in the notes at robertscottbell.com. You can also go to drbatar.com. Learn more about Advanced Medicine there. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. Each and every week at this time, we go advanced medicine on you with Dr. Rashid Bittar. Again, links are up in the show notes. If you ever miss one of these special episodes each and every week, you can go to medicalrewind.com. Easiest way to plug into hundreds of hours of advanced medicine. Great conversations we've had over the years. Sometimes great questions of the day. Sometimes callers even. And it's the gift of healing that keeps on giving, Dr. Batar, from faith to knowingness and now to social interaction. Here's a question I have for you, because this next story is kind of squirrely a little bit. I sort of get where they're going, but I want to ask your perspective on it as well. Headline reads, social interaction could boost chemotherapy's effectiveness. Now, my question is, if the chemotherapy's effectiveness is based on its cytotoxicity, does it enhance it or detract it? I'm not sure where they're going. Right. Well, this is, you know, obviously we know that if they're trying to say that um, it's an absurd correlation, really what happens is that we actually experience this in our office. When patients sit together while they're going through their treatment on a daily basis, there's camaraderie that's formed. There is um, having the similar experience and going through the same trials and tribulations, and when they share with each other, there's a commonality, and that common denominator helps them to get support from each other, and it helps them to elevate their spirit. It helps to elevate their uh, thought process, and, and if one's down, then the other three will pull that person along, and they, they form this friendship that sometimes lasts years after the treatment's completed, and you know the, the cancer is just a bad memory, and no, no longer dealing with that issue, but they still, those forms, those bonds that they formed, they still continue to have that friendship. And I think that's what they're really talking about. And of course, they've attributed it and turned it back to saying the chemotherapy made it more effective. It has nothing <laughs> to do with chemotherapy. It's right. just the relationship that people established together. Yeah, I was thinking about the camaraderie uh, of going through it. Like you said, would strength and resolve, maybe you'd be more able to withstand, again, the cytotoxicity. I mean, it's cell toxic. And the point is, if it were to make it even more toxic, that's not necessarily more effective because you're playing a game of chemotherapeutic chicken with the life of that body, right, that the, the, the human soul is in at that point. Can it survive the onslaught? And so having a camaraderie, friendship, and kinship going on at that point could probably strengthen your resolve, strengthen the healthy cells to withstand some of the assault. That's exactly right. And I think that the more this type of observations made, and if, if they feel like that they need to, do research on this. I think this is true with 
with all aspects of uh, social interaction, when you have people that do things together, whether it's in a club or, you know, book club, chess, whatever it is, there's camaraderie that's formed and people's moods improve because there are other people that share the same preferences, the same uh, thought process, the same whatever it is. It's a sharing. So if, if you are... Um, if you're a weightlifter and you are in a in a society that only runs, you're going to feel pretty alone and isolated, and and you know feel you everybody's going to look at you like you're a mutant and there's something wrong with you. But if you are in a community with other weightlifters, you're not going to feel that way. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a, it doesn't matter whether it's get, going through chemo or you're talking about any aspect. You know what I mean? If you're mm-hmm. a if you're a Hispanic person living in a uh, all-white community, or you're a white person living in a Hispanic community, you may feel a little isolated. So that it's it's one of those type of things. It's whatever it is. You know, one man among all a bunch of women. Well, actually, that might be a good thing. <laughs> we oh, we were almost <laughs> like that at the naturopathic show. Uh, me and my buddy Paul, who was on last week with us, we were like, you know, 10% men, 90% women. Awesome! So, no, we were okay with that. <laughs> right. So, that was but fun. anyway, it's, uh, it's an interesting correlation, of course, that they pulled out and made it sound absurd that chemotherapy is <laughs> it was a funny headline. Oh, and by the way, speaking of like the faith to knowingness, there are many friends and family members out there that may not listen to the Robert Scott Bell Show or know Dr. Batar and advanced medicine that we do, and they may have faith in chemotherapy, weirdly enough to say it that way. Now, if they make that selection, that choice to go that path, and you might have knowingness that it's probably not the ideal route to go, but they're not willing to accept that because they have faith in a different path for themselves. All I would ask, and if you really love them, is just to keep loving them and support them in their decision as opposed to, you know, make negative comments about it that could kind of take away from their survival potentiality, even if they're making a choice that you don't believe is best. Yeah, and that's an important part um, that we're very conscious of in our office. We never, ever, do my initial consult, I never tell a person what they should or shouldn't do. I just give them information and let them come to their own conclusion because that's a really, really important component that you bring up, Robert, the, yeah. the power of influence that we as providers have and the patient's ability to be uh, autonomous is very important. We need to distinguish that. Yep. Love them no matter what. And uh, they'll have a better uh, better options as far as moving forward, whatever happens, whatever transition. All right, folks, we got a lot more advanced medicine to do. I'm going to query Dr. Batar going back to Advanced Medicine 101. When is inflammation good for you? Because they always say, bad, it's all bad. Is it all bad? Could it be good? And how do we support it? Great heavens, what kind of radio show is this? The Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. If you can't get enough of Dr. Batar, and let's face it, who can, right? Come and see him at the Truth About Cancer Live 2017. Our buddy Ty Bollinger has invited him back. I don't know what he was thinking, Dr. Batar, but you're invited back. I think Ty must have Alzheimer's or something, or the onset <laughs> dementia, and he forgot. Old, so. old timers from Ty. We'll have to talk to him about that. No, I'm, I'm glad you're coming back, and I know a lot of folks are really excited to see you there. Orlando, October 5th, 6th, and 7th, and it was just a you know, phenomenal event, Not, unlike any other we had attended before. So many people and so much great interaction, and there's more of that to come. Plus, those of you indulging in food that is actually good for you, it's all organic. And uh, 
Dr. Batar, my wife was there with Charlene and Brianna, and uh, they were there testing the organic food dishes. And my wife, all she could say is, oh, my gosh, wait till you get there and eat the food. And I'm thinking, wow. who needs Batar and RSB? Just eat the food. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. That's going to be no, fun. I'm it's looking be forward fun. to it. It'll be fun. We're going to get I'm in. Actually, mm-hmm. I was going to say I'm going to actually um, – Give the. I think you and I talked about this before. I, mean, I don't think we talked about it in the air, but I'm going to. My topic is actually the subject of a new book that I've been writing, and I'm very excited about it because I think it's going to be a definitive um, work when it comes to what happens with a patient that has cancer, and it actually is applicable to all disease processes and how it all starts from what we just talked about, which was the emotional basis, so the spirituality aspect and the emotional psychological aspect, and they're very close. I've actually split those off. That used to be the fifth toxicity used to be emotional, psychological, and spiritual, but then I split it off, and now spiritual toxicity is the seventh toxicity. Emotional Mm -hmm. psychological is the fifth toxicity, and we're going to be talking a lot about that and how to resolve it. Nice. That's going to be exciting because these are the things that are often the stumbling blocks, even when you think you're making all the right moves to get you well, and there's something energetically lingering in the background or deep within you. You can't acknowledge or maybe it's too painful, but it's there. And when you resolve that, then miracles occur, sometimes instantaneously. Absolutely. It's a cathartic event, and I've I've actually experienced this with patients when doing the uh, infrarespiratory reflex injections to help them breathe better. And you will see that when they start breathing off a sudden, it's such a fast onset, they will have this cathartic effect and they will start crying. And they look around and they don't even know why they're crying, but it's, it's an emotional release. And there was pent up emotional mm. burdens that were sometimes, you know, um, 10, 15, 20 years old. And of course, now I don't want to open up the can of miasms, but now when you talk yes. about miasms, that's a, that's a you know, generational uh, memory. So. We, we won't we won't talk Wouldn't about it, that. I don't know. No, but you but <laughs> but it's it's listen. Let's plant the seeds for future discussions and your presentation at the Truth About Cancer. A lot of mysterious manifestations in organs and organ systems can be related to what you just described: the spiritual toxicity, uh, emotional, mental, psychological, as well. And there is a major impact on the physical body, the structure and its function. So we'll leave it at that. But sometimes it can be cited or spotted due to inflammation in those areas. But the great controversy, at least for this article, is it good for you, is it bad for you, the big eye or inflammation? Because so much of modern medicine is about anti-inflammation. Is it always appropriate to be against inflammation, or is there a protective mechanism associated with it? Is that a rhetorical question? Are you going to keep on going, or you want me to say something about that? That's your, that's your cue, baby. That's my cue. Okay. Well, I just missed that. That ball was thrown up, and I'm still standing there, and it's already gone over the hoop, and it's bounced out of court now. <laughs> All right. Well, blame Super Don. Um, I don't know what happened. Well, it, you know, it's the the whole concept of inflammation. Anything that the body does, by definition, has to have a role to it. They, just because we don't understand it, or just because we think it's good or bad, um, doesn't doesn't mean that there's not a reason that the creator, the ultimate engineer, put it in place. So, inflammation when you have uh, something that hits your leg, for example, let's say a hammer hits your knee and it swells up. Well, that swelling is a protective component that allows for the joint to become less mobile so that you don't further exacerbate that injury that you've just sustained. And so that's the example of inflammation playing its role to be protective. And there's many other aspects of that. Um, there's, uh, there's aspects of inflammation from the healing pr- process, how 
wounds were closed from the infectious process, etc., etc. So there's many different things. It's chronic, insidious um, inflama- inflammatory cascade that is started that really is the detrimental thing. And I don't think that the natural process in the body is ever chronic. It's because we do stupid things to create that cascade to continue. For example, um, you know, you get injured and then you take an anti-inflammatory, so you get a false sense of security that everything's okay, and then you go out and you re-injure it because you didn't, you know, you didn't have that normal protection of the pain receptors being firing, and then and then you think that you're okay, and you go out and re-injure it. And you see this a lot with college athletes, professional athletes. Um, so that's an example of recurring inflammation. And then, of course, the other aspects of chronic recurrent inflammation is really based upon how you eat and how you live your life. And, um, in fact, the article even goes on and talks about that. And it was an interesting conclusion. Did you notice that, Robert? I don't know who this guy Pearson is. I guess he's a, he's a physician. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, people are always looking for a test and a pill, uh, <laughs> says Pearson. What we need in, is some good advice and perseverance to work on our lifestyle. And that's exactly Ooh. the key. That's a very profound statement, and again, I don't know whether this was this is health news from NPR. So this is more mainstream. Yes, it is than non-mainstream. So it's it's actually a really good. Um, it's one. It's one of those which, breaths of fresh air that occasionally come out, like you know, we talk about the broken clock being right once once a, a, every day. But you know, sometimes these articles that have legitimacy will come out through mainstream media, and we'll acknowledge them just like we're acknowledging this one. And I guess, you know, my thought on this, too, in recognizing an acute injury like a hammer blow and the inflammation that's protective and part of the healing process, if it goes what, into what we call into a chronic state of inflammation that never goes away, is it the body going awry or is it, as you said, the lifestyle that we're leading is so wrong that we can't ever get out of that cascade and it becomes, I don't know if I'd call it habitual because you think about conscious decision, but the body is doing what it's doing and the inflammation is never going away because something that we're doing or not doing is not allowing the healing to actually complete. Did you, did you do this on purpose? Because this is exactly the subject of the book. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Dude, you know, when you're, exactly, a, when you're asleep, I sneak over and I read your, your notes. <laughs> no, Robert, seriously, this is, it's, it's so funny how this, this is exactly, I mean, we didn't plan this. You know, you, truth is stranger than fiction. So anyway, um, you know, this is interesting. Thomas Pearson is, the, mm-hmm. is actually a cardiovascular epidemiologist, and he is also an author of the AHA CDC recommendations um, for the University of Florida Health Science Center. Um, he's also involved with them. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. This is a, an example of one of the good guys at the CDC. Right. He's not talking about recommending pills or vaccines um, or uh, a test, but rather we need lifestyle modification. And that is the truth. That's exactly the right answer. Beautiful. Beautiful. It comes back to what you were saying, too, that sometimes, you know, this, this lifestyle modification aspect, it's, some of it's conscious and we can control, but some of it isn't conscious. Some of it we're not even aware of. And becoming aware of the problem first is the key. You can't solve a problem or you can't uh, win a battle unless you first recognize that you're in a war, or that you're, you know, you can't break out of a prison unless you first know that you're in jail type of thing. So <laughs> yes. that's, that's the first aspect is to identify and realize and recognize what the problem is. And then, as they say, that's half the battle. And now you can then finish the rest of it. And that's really the subject of the whole book. It's nice. all about conflict and how to, how to identify it. I've already read it, and it's awesome. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know. We're just wavelengthing. This is what we do together. What can you say after all these years, right? So I'm really yeah. thrilled that that's coming out because it still needs to come out in many ways. And, and of course, uh, the way you, you wrote that international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, it's very moving. It, it changes people. It gives them, you know, not only we talk about the hope, the faith, but again, the ability to then walk a new path and then to go beyond the faith to knowingness. And that's, you know, much of what we try to impart. And there's stuff we acknowledge we don't yet know as to why we're still here. If we knew it all, we'd probably poof, we're not here anymore. But we're going to enjoy our time while we are here, are we not? And point out these things and bring the power to heal back to you where it belongs. Now, this next study, interestingly enough, is out of, uh, I believe, out of Canada. And it, it could relate to the inflammation. And it could relate to the issue of cancer because it's saying that cancer, the evidence is that cancer is a lifestyle disease largely caused by, guess what? Food. Food. Now, this is like, whoa, this is not good because what about all those people that say it's all genetic? Well, they might be partly right because the food your ancestors ate caused epigenetic expressions that were different, but the food our ancestors ate do not resemble what's called food today for most people in the Western world. Yeah, and so... Is it really the food, though, or what we do to the food, right? Exactly. Yeah, and, that's and exactly. Manipul- mm. Yeah, so we manipulate the food, and we change the food, and we pasteurize it, and we homogenize it, and we irradiate it, and we genetically modify it, and and I don't even know how we can call it food, but yes, that's that's the biggest thing. And then our patterns of, of how we eat, and so I, I completely agree with this, uh, and I would probably be further it, Robert. I know you would agree mm-hmm. with me. It's not just the food that we eat, but it's also what we drink and, and what we breathe. It's yes. a combination of how we're changing our environment. And in fact, the presidential cancer report in 2010 that came out um, was the one thing, it was 240-some page report, and their conclusion can be summarized in one sentence. And that sentence was that cancer is an environmental issue, and we need to do something about it. And that's actually going to be my introduction to mm-hmm. uh, President Obama when I'm speaking before him in October, right after the cancer conference. I just, I still am scratching my head on that one. If, uh, that's incredible. What's going <laughs> to introduce him? But, you know, they, if somebody should tell him that, you know, after that 2010 report, why did he promote a cancer moonshot with uh, Vice President and Biden, which had almost nothing to do with environmental issues and all to do with advanced studies into various forms of chemotherapy? Well, I'm going to probably I <laughs> not to, bring I that up. Tone it down a little bit. Well, <laughs> what I'm going to I am going to actually bring up that you know people can have differences and opinions, but we need to look at our commonalities and come together with those at least. Mm-hmm. And um, that's one of the that's I, I'm going to basically talk about the seven toxicities and talk about the importance you know from a health perspective, and then introduce the cancer report and go on. Way that cool. Route. But way cool. The, it, yeah. By the way, uh, on the food issue. Food used to be fat, protein, carbohydrates, minerals, trace minerals, you know, in the proteins, amino acids, all the, the basics, right? Building blocks and things. And then in the 20th century, we started saying, hey, let's add synthetic this, synthetic that, whether it be pesticides, additives, colorings, preservatives. What do you expect the cells of your body and the, and the microbiome is going to do impacting something that it never had experienced in the history that we know of on planet Earth? There's going to be inflammatory protective responses. And if that continues on and on and on and on, the inflammation never goes away. Guess what? The cells become aberrant. They go rogue. They never die. That's called cancer. And it relates to what? They call food in this article what Dr. Batar and I recognize as not exactly food like food used to be. Folks, get back to the food as it used to be, and you'll see cancer diminish to the point where it was a rare manifestation. 
like years ago. Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things? It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert will be right back. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. In the show notes, robertscottbell.com will take you. It'll say Hour 2, Advanced Medicine with Dr. Batar. That'll take you right to Medical Rewind. There's a hyperlink so you can listen to hundreds of hours of shows. you got lots of catching up to do if you're new to the show. And I know we get new listeners each and every week. So uh, you don't need to uh, binge watch Netflix. You need to binge listen to Medical Rewind with Dr. Vitar here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Also, click on his picture. It'll take you right to drbuttar.com, drbuttar.com. Get the lead out. In the 1970s, early 70s, uh, they were starting to realize that lower IQs were happening in the inner cities everywhere where people were sucking down exhaust from, you know, these leaded gasoline cars where it concentrated in, in the cities. And they made unleaded gas. Well, come to find out, it leads in a lot of the water supply. Biggest thing, Flint, Michigan, in the last year or two, and other systems. Now, it's not only lead, but we've talked about, and Dr. Batar has written extensively about mercury. We've also mentioned cadmium, aluminum, arsenic. There's a whole lot of heavy metals that are causing havoc on a whole lot of people. But children, we've seen IQs lower. But now there's an article here, Dr. Batar, on Natural News, talking about high lead exposure in childhood leads to more crimes or criminals as adults, these same children? Well, we know that the studies that have been published with uh, even low-level lead showing a substantial decrease in IQ, in fact, they found that low-level lead toxicity was more detrimental, I'm not sure why, but Mm. low-level lead toxicity was more detrimental to IQ than high lead levels. Um, I think it may be something perhaps where it's similar to the homeopathic principle, perhaps, I'm not sure. But they did find that uh, this was actually published um, over a decade and a half ago. And I think, Robert, you know which study I'm talking about, right? It's a pretty prominent yeah, study but it, it was published in the... I think, you, you know, you talk about at low-level exposure, you got aberrant dysfunction. You know, you're still very functional. It's not like you're debilitated in, in, you know, in a wheelchair scenario. But there are higher functions that are corrupted by the presence of lead. Not enough to kill you, but certainly enough to alter cellular metabolism. And what is it impacting in terms of brain, neurological health? Or on some level, uh, we talked about a governor or limiter on behavior that is seemingly removed, for instance, uh, people that are put on SSRI medications, where they might have had suicidal ideations and thoughts, but they wouldn't act on them until they're on an SSRI. And then they go shoot up a school or something. So I wonder if lead has something to do similar to that, just speculating. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree with you. I think it is. Uh, We know that low-level lead has been associated with uh, decrease in IQ function, and to I think that the the when when you're dealing with the behavioral issue, there is a as you said, there's an inhibition of or a reduction in inhibition, and so when people don't they they don't hold back, they they don't understand the consequences for their actions, and that's usually a function of lower IQ, lower intelligence. It's just like when you uh, when you have a little baby, a baby may not understand the consequence of, um, um, you know, spitting or throwing something, whereas an adult does. And so, you know, we say, well, the child under- doesn't understand. Well, it's a similar type of concept. It's a maturity concept. It's a, it's a 
cognitive, there's a cognitive function here too, obviously, but there's a learned behavior aspect, there's a societal norm aspect. And so lower IQ means basically that those societal norms and, and the behavioral um, able to re- restrain or constrain oneself form an impulsive type action is reduced. And so they would be, it would make sense that those are the people that are uh, indulging in things that may not be uh, considered to be normal by society mm-hmm. standards, i.e. criminality and, and other types of things like that. Sure, and remind folks that the whole basis for IV chelation was a discovery about getting the lead out of bodies, was it not? Absolutely. It was in the uh, 1940s, 1950s in car workers, actually, that where they were finding that they, these people, they were trying to do a study, actually, on um, removing lead from these Detroit car um, workers within the manufacturing plants. And what was interesting was that they found that there was a correlation between the people that had heart disease and that had symptomology, and as they were removing the lead out, there was a reduction in their symptomology. And that was really how the concept of chelation began. And um, we now know that it's not just lead. There's many other metals in, in play here, and mercury and lead are very detrimental to the nervous system specifically. So... Removing the metal, getting the lead out is very beneficial, and we should all be doing that. Absolutely. And, folks, if you're not sure how to do that, you just keep listening every week to Advanced Medicine here on the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Rasha Bittar. You can submit your questions by phone. Leave a message, 866-939-2355, or go to robertscottbell.com. Again, archives at Medical Rewind and, of course, SoundCloud, GCN, etc. Dr. Bittar, another fine episode. Thank you, my friend. Please tell them what they need to know before we got to go. The power to heal is unequivocally yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show.